0: Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Genesis. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, there should be one in uh, one of the pew racks in front of you, around you. Someone will be glad to hand the Bible to you if you need to get one. And uh, Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, uh, chapter 29, we're going to be in chapter 29 this morning and also in chapter 30. Um, As you see on the screen in front of you, we're in the middle of a sermon series on the life of a man named Jacob. And we're called the series, He's Still Working on Me. Genesis chapter 29, we'll be reading there in just a moment, and we'll read into chapter 30. I want to encourage you to get a copy of God's Word so you can follow along today. Genesis 29, and uh, we'll be there in just a second. You know, reality TV is a big business. I don't know how much uh, television you watch or how much you're familiar with the television shows. Uh, but shows like Duck Dynasty and John and Kate Plus Eight Years Ago and then an Extreme Makeover Weight Loss Edition and 19 Kids and Counting and uh, Bringing Up Bates and Little People Big World and on and on and on supposedly give us a, gives us a peek into the life of um, people, unscripted, unrehearsed, and sometimes unbelievable. And you know, some shows do a pretty good job of staying true to the ideal, While others begin to stray off course. Now why is it that some of these shows that start out with real life, they begin to kind of stray off course and it seems they become scripted and rehearsed and so forth. Well, you can only stand watching somebody go to school and go to work and go to the dentist for so long and then it gets boring. And so the producers have to take these non actors, these reality TV stars and put them in some different scenes and some different scenarios in order to get it a little bit more interesting and to keep the audience engaged. And we as viewers are left to wonder, is this reality or is this scripted? Is this rehearsed? Is this just acting? But we still keep watching and millions of people keep watching. Think about all the reality TVs on the air. Why is this form of entertainment so popular? Well, I'm sure I get various responses from various people if I were to ask that question. But there's something about looking behind the scenes. There's something about pulling back the curtain and looking behind the stage, if you will. And we look at people who are a lot like us and people who are anything but like us. And so we keep watching. You say, well, preacher, why all this talk about reality TV? Well, I got to thinking about it, beloved, and in this sermon series that we're in right now on the life of Jacob, it would have been a great reality television program. (laughs) They could have called it Jacob's family. And that would have been in black and white, mind you, because it didn't have color uh, back in those days. But the thing about it is, when you read the story of Jacob in the Bible, this is reality. What you see is what you get. This is not scripted. It's not rehearsed. It's not acting. It is real life. And you're going to find as you study God's word that when God paints a portrait of someone, he often paints it warts and all. Now, before we get into the next episode of this, if this were a show, I need to kind of bring you up to speed on what we've learned so far. A lot of times they do that on the reality television programs. They recap. In fact, a lot of the program is recapping what they've already covered and they show you a little bit more. The next week they'll recap that and then show you a little bit more. But I need to give you some background information, we're studying about a man named Jacob. We find his story, of course, in the very first book of the Bible. You've opened to it this morning, the book of Genesis. Now, Jacob arrives on the scene. He's the second born son to a man named Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, And he's actually a twin. His older brother is named Esau. Now, Esau and Jacob were totally not alike. Uh, Esau was a hairy man. That's what the scripture says. He was a hunter. He was an outdoorsman. He was a rugged man. And Jacob was a smooth man who liked to hang around the house and liked to be there. And that doesn't mean, now listen, doesn't mean he was not tough and not manly. It just means he was different than his brother. God had made it plain even when they were in the womb that the younger son, that is Jacob, was going to have the priority. In that culture, the older son was the one who often inherited the most and took over the family and all those things. But God made it clear it was going to be the younger son. Jacob. He would have what they call the birthright and the blessing. Uh, He'd be the leader of the family after his father's death. And this was totally contrary to cultural norms. But rather than let God work all that out, Jacob and his mother decided to take matters into their own hands. And through trickery and through cunning and through deceit, uh, Jacob ended up with the blessing. He ended up with the birthright. And it was a horrible thing to watch. But this is reality programming here, folks. This is what happened in this family's life. And Jacob uh, is there and his older brother Esau is not happy. In fact, Esau is so mad at Jacob, he decides he's going to kill him. When his father dies, he's going to kill him. And so in order to save his life... And in order for him to get a wife, they send him to his mother's brother's home, to Uncle Laban's house, about 500 miles away from where he was living, where he grew up, where home was. And he arrives there. God provides for him, meets his needs. He arrives in the scene and he meets his uh, uncle's daughter. He falls in love and he is just madly head over heels in love with Rachel. In fact, he loves her so much, he promised to work seven years In order to have her hand in marriage. Well, the seven years come to a close and it becomes the wedding. And that night it's very dark and the bride is heavily veiled and she's led to the tent. And the next morning when Jacob rolls over to kiss his new bride. It's not Rachel. It's her older sister, Leah. He had been tricked. And so then we have the story continues on that. He agrees that he'll work another seven years. He'll be given Rachel in marriage. And he fulfills that obligation now in a matter of just about eight days. He has two wives. They each have a maid and they have a heap of mess. Now, let me just caution you, beloved. God's plan has always been for marriage to be between one man and one woman. Just because he records this in the Bible doesn't mean he condones their actions. But Jacob finds himself here with two wives and their two maids. And it's a recipe for disaster. And I told you it would be a good recipe for a reality television program. But to make matters even worse, the Bible says that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. And if that's not bad enough, just wait to what we're getting ready to study in today's passage of Scripture. I call today's message baby battles. I was down with the teenagers before in Sunday school. And one of them opened the bulletin and looked at it and said, baby battles? Yeah, baby battles. You've heard of baby bottles, but this is baby battles. These ladies are going to battle it out to see who can produce the most male babies for Jacob. Now in that culture, baby boys were very important. Now, let me just caution you before we read the scripture today. I got to tell you something very important. Jacob is God's man. In fact, he's the heir to the Abrahamic covenant. God had promised to his grandfather, Abraham, there would be a people, a land and a blessing. He had promised that in his line, all the world would be blessed. Why? Because through this line was going to come the Messiah The promised one, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not talking about a pagan family here. We're talking about God's man, Jacob. Now, are you ready to hear the rest of the story? If so, let the baby battles begin. And we're going to find the story here in Genesis chapter 29, verse 31 through chapter 30, verse 24. I'll pick up the reading there. Genesis 29, verse 31. Follow along or listen. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked to my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Now our attention turns from Leah to Rachel. Chapter 30, verse 1. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So she said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. What we're going to have here is surrogate motherhood, a custom in that culture. Uh, As this child is born upon the knees, it would be literally, if you will, born by her maid, but it would be Rachel's child. Chapter 30, verse 4. Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid as wife. And Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case. He's also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. And Rachel's maid, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I've wrestled with my sister. And indeed, I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Now, Leah saw all this. And she said, two can play this game. Chapter 30, verse 9. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid. And gave her to Jacob his wife. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And then Leah said, a troop comes, so she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Are you noticing any tension in this family? Are you notice any competition? Do you notice any uh, battling going on? Baby battles. There's a son, there's a son, there's a son, there's a son. Take my maid, take my maid. Back and forth we go. Reality TV. Not necessarily fit to watch, but reality TV nonetheless. Chapter 30, verse 14. Now, Reuben, Reuben's the firstborn son. He's probably, I don't know, three, four, we're not sure, years of age, went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes, a type of fruit in the field, and brought them to his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah. And she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I've given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I've borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Now back to Rachel, chapter 30, verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And he called and she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. And indeed, that is the case, beloved, because here's a look at the family tree at this point with Leah's children, Zilpah's children, Bilhah's children, Rachel's children. And Rachel would add one more son, a baby by the name of Benjamin. She would die in giving childbirth to him. But this is where we get the 12 sons of Jacob. This is where it originates. You have two brides battling it out for babies. Now, I told you this was an unusual part of the story. In fact, can I just be honest with you? And I wrestle with this. This is the most unusual friend day message I've ever preached in my life. (laughs) We've been doing this for years. And I have never in my life preached a message like this one. And I know the question on so many minds today. And if I were sitting in the pew where you are, I'd be thinking the exact same thing as you read this passage. What in the world does this have to do with me? What in the world does this have to do with me? I mean, this family seems so messed up, so weird, so strange, even deranged. What they did was not right. Yes, exactly. That's what I want you to see. They were messed up. They were doing wrong. But this was the man that God chose. This was the man who inherited the Abrahamic covenant. This is the man whose line would bring forth the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And truth be known, you might be more like the characters in this story than you realize. Don't be offended, but I think you'll see in a moment what I mean. But you might be more like these characters than you even realize. Now, hear me out. Your circumstances will certainly look different, but the root problem is still the sin. I want to go back and look at the various characters in the story. You know, you have Jacob, and you have his wife, Leah, and you have his wife, Rachel, and then you have their two maids. Okay? Those are the characters we're thinking about here for a few minutes. Let's talk about, first of all, Leah and Rachel. The two wives. Jacob was tricked. He worked for Rachel, got tricked into marrying Leah. Leah. Then he worked again, and he got Rachel. He has two sisters here who are his wives. And what was it that Leah and Rachel really wanted? As I studied the past, as I thought about it, I think it's obvious that what they really desired, beloved, was love and acceptance. They really wanted love and acceptance. That's what they're striving for here. They wanted to be loved and accepted by Jacob. They were striving for this. If I can only give him more sons than the other one, then he'll really love me and really accept me. In fact, look back at the passage. Look at verse twenty-nine or chapter 29, verse 32. Chapter 29, verse 32. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, listen, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will what? He will love me. Look at verse 34 of chapter 29. Same chapter, verse 34. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Chapter 30, verse 20. Chapter 30, verse 20. Leah said, God has endowed me with good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I've borne him six sons. Leah's crying out here. She knows that he loves Rachel more than her. She knows that he was tricked into marrying her. But she's striving for love. She's striving for acceptance that he'd love me and dwell with me if I can just give him enough sons. Now, what about Rachel? I mean, she was loved. But do you begin to wonder when you realize she's bearing, she's worried about this thing that maybe she's afraid she's going to lose his love. And he's going to begin to notice that Leah is more productive and he begins to love her more. Maybe he would change his mind. And she saw this as a battle against Leah. In fact, look at chapter 30, verse 1. It tells us that when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister. Notice that. And she said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Drop down to verse 8, chapter 30. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I've wrestled with my sister. Some of you parents understand that, right? You've got wrestling uh, siblings. You ever hear it? I've wrestled with my sister, and indeed, I have prevailed! And so this longing for love, this longing for acceptance, it led to a battle. And the battle brought out envy, and it brought out jealousy, and it brought out bitterness. And it brought out the worst in them. In fact, look at chapter 30, verse 15. Here's what Leah says. She says, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's fruit? And his mandrakes also. And they actually, they bargain here to see who is Jacob going to spend the night with. And you have these two ladies. And they're struggling and they're striving for love and acceptance. What about Jacob? What is Jacob thinking about all this? Now, perhaps, honestly, he enjoyed this at first. These women battling for his attention. Uh, But you have to think that this must have been getting old after a while. Imagine the stress in this household of having two wives and then two maids also became wives. uh, Second class wives, mind you. And this battling going on. He didn't have two happy wives. He didn't have four happy wives. He had unhappy wives as far as we can see. When I look at Jacob, I notice, beloved, that he was just kind of swept along with other people's expectations. He was swept along with other people's expectations. In fact, I think we see frustration begins to set in in Jacob's life because he has this... Family situation and these wives wrangling and wrestling with one another. In fact, look at chapter 30 verses 1 and 2 again. Right after it says in verse 1 that Rachel says, give me children or else I die. Look at verse 2 of chapter 30. It says, and Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. I think the frustration hit him and he's there and he grows angry and he's frustrated. And he said, am I in the place of God who's withheld from you the fruit of the womb? No matter what he did, he could not be enough. He could not do enough to meet the needs of these women and their expectations. They were busy buying time with him using pieces of fruit. This was not a healthy family situation. This was not a good thing going on in this family. But there's two more characters. Think about Bilhah and Zilpah. And I think about these two dear ladies. And I don't think that they had any say in this matter. I don't think they had any right in this matter. They were just used to meet someone else's needs. They were used by others. I think they were stuck with no choice. They were made wives, yes, but only second-class wives. Their children would not ultimately be their children. would be the children of their master. And they were used by others. We don't know what their feelings were about this. We don't know if this is something they wanted or not, but they were there and they were used. Can I just say, when you look at this story, and this might be a great understatement, but this whole thing was a mess. This whole thing was an absolute, total mess. Beloved, how does life get so messy? Now, don't answer out loud. Don't acknowledge today, but... Are there any messes at your house? I'm not talking about the floors and the counters. That's fine. I'm talking about your home life. I'm talking about your life. Maybe you're here and you're single. Are there any messes in your life? Things that you struggle with. Things that you're frustrated with. Things that just that they haven't gone right. You don't know why. You don't know what's going on. What is the root problem that leads to all of this mess? What's the root problem that leads to what we read about here in Jacob's family and these wives and this battling for babies? Can I just tell you that the root problem for all of this is one word. It's the word sin. The root problem is sin. You see, if we go back earlier in the book of Genesis, we find our first relative. By the way, we're all related. Now, in Anson County, y'all can say that, many of you. I'm an outsider. Been here a long time, but everybody's related to everybody here. And that's my cousin, uncle, brother, so forth. But, you know, ultimately, we are all related. We go back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And our first relative back there, Adam, he was our representative. He was our ancestor. He disobeyed God and he plunged us into sin. And he separated us from a holy God. And the reason that there is sickness and there's disease and there's hurricanes and storms and hurts and messes and all the rest of the things that we deal with is because of sin. You see, we're all a mess. The Bible says we're all sinners. We've all disobeyed God. But here's what you have to see, beloved. God can turn this mess into something beautiful. In fact, he does it in this situation. Out of this home... That we just read about. Will come forth eventually. The birth of a baby. Named Jesus. The savior of the world. Will come through the line. Of this messed up family. This soap opera. The nation of Israel is born here. In the midst of this mess. And beloved the solution to our mess. The solution to our sin. Is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the solution. God sent His Son through the line of this messed up family. He was born of the Virgin Mary. Perfect God, perfect man, joined in the flesh. And though He he was born into a world of sin, He was born to a people who were in sin and in a mess, who were plagued by sin, He never sinned. He lived a sinless, perfect life. And He said, you know what? I'll take your mess for you. I'll take your sin for you. "And he voluntarily gave his life on the Roman cross. He shed his precious blood, He died. He was buried. But praise be to God, he rose again victorious. And the Bible says, beloved, that if we'll turn away from our sin and we'll trust Jesus Christ alone, he will save us. He'll forgive you your sin. He'll make you a child of God and he'll give you a home in heaven. That is his promise. Now, I've got to caution you something here, beloved. We know that in Christ we are made perfect. In Christ. But guess what? We're still living in the flesh, we're still living in a sin cursed, fallen world. We look at Jacob here. Jacob was a believer. He was a follower of the Lord. He was one who knew the Lord. He was God's man. But was he perfect, practically speaking? (laughs) We'll just go back and read the story. Look at his home life. Look at what's going on in his life at this time. But you see, God wasn't through with Jacob. That's why we call this sermon series, He's Still Working On Me. He's working on him here in this passage to make him more like Jesus. And that's what God does with every single child that he has. He works in us to make us more like His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard this saying, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. They aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. And maybe you came into this service today, and you were thinking as they were singing, the children were singing, we sang together today, Our God saves, and victory in Jesus, and praise God from all blessings flow, and His banner over me is love. Maybe you were thinking, yeah, it'd be great to be a follower of Jesus. It'd be great to, to know him. But when I look at my life and I look at the mess that I've made of things, I look at the mess that I'm in, how in the world could God help me? Well, can I just remind you of a man named Jacob and his wives, Leah and Rachel, and their maids, Zilpah and Bilhah. And I can I just remind you that in the midst of this mess, God brought forth something beautiful. Even in this mess. And may I just remind you, that's what God wants to do in your life. All have sinned. I've sinned. All of us have sinned. All of us have been separated from a holy God. But Jesus Christ came to bridge that gap. And He's given us the way, the truth, and the life Himself to come to know God. Jacob knew God, but he's far from perfect. Those of us here who know God in our most honest times, we would say, too, we're far from perfect. We serve a perfect God in Christ. We're perfect, but practically speaking, God still working on us. We're a work in progress, fully forgiven. Yes. Heaven bound. Yes. But God's still working on us to make us more and more like Jesus. Let me come back to these characters real quick. We said that the ladies there, Leah and Rachel, they wanted love and acceptance. We said that Jacob was swept along by other people's expectations. And we said that Bilhah and Zilpah, they were just used to meet the needs of other people. Not even given a choice. They were in a mess. But beloved, God is the one who can truthfully give love and acceptance. God is the one who can meet the deepest needs of your life. If you'll come to him today in the midst of your mess, in the midst of your sin, and say, God, I don't want this anymore. I don't want my sin. I want your forgiveness. I want your cleansing. I want Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. I can tell you on the authority of the word of God, he will forgive you. He will help you and he'll turn your mess into something beautiful in him. You'll find love and acceptance in him. You'll find purpose. You don't keep trying to meet other people's expectations. You'll find true purpose. And in him, you'll find peace. Maybe you say, listen, that's me. I've been used by others. I've been hurt deeply. Listen, today you can find peace in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can find hope and joy. Turn from your sin today. And take Jesus Christ by faith. And he can make something beautiful out of your life. Let us bow together in prayer. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I wonder today, dear friend, is God the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart? You realize that you have sinned and you look at your life and you say, yeah, there, there's a mess. Here. Friend, can I invite you, if you've never come to Christ, can I invite you today to turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ? You can do it right where you're seated. You can do business with God right now. And I want to encourage you to do that. If you'd like to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior. You can just pray a simple prayer right where you are. And you mean it. This is between you and the Lord. Dear God. I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm in a mess. But I believe That Jesus Christ lived a sinless, perfect life. He is God. And I believe he died on that cross for me. And I believe he's alive today. And Father, your word says, if I turn from my sin and I trust Jesus, you will forgive me and save me and make me your child. And so, Lord, the best way I know how I turn from my sin now. I don't want it anymore. And I trust you and you alone as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live my life for you. Help me to never be ashamed of you. Lord, make something beautiful out of my life for your glory. Now listen, everybody's head is still bound. Everybody's eyes are still closed. But I wonder if someone here today, you prayed that prayer, you meant it, and you invited Jesus Christ into your life to be your Savior and your Lord. Would you, right where you are, nobody's looking around, but right where you are, would you just slip your hand up and say, Preacher, I prayed that prayer with you today, and I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Anybody like that? Slip a hand up and say, Preacher, I prayed that with you. All right, God bless you. You can put it down. Anybody else? I'm not going to come get you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to call you out. just want to rejoice with you. I'd love to talk with you after the service. And encourage you and give you some material to help you grow in your faith. But right now I just want to rejoice with you. Anybody else? A couple have already raised their hands. Anybody else? Lift a hand. and say, preacher, I prayed that prayer today. I invited Jesus Christ into my life. Anybody else before we pray? Father, I thank you that you're at work among us. And I thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I thank you for the simplicity of the gospel to turn from our sin and believe. And Father, I pray today for any that might be here that they didn't lift a hand. they're, They're wrestling with you even now. I pray they would yield to the Holy Spirit's working in their life. I pray for those who lifted a hand that you would encourage them and bless them. And, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I know we didn't talk a lot about the application for them. But, Lord, we know that obedience is the key. We find ourselves in these situations and in these messes to turn quickly to you and invite your presence and direction in. So, Father, bless this time, I pray. and Make us a blessing. (coughs) And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with number 141, the old rugged cross. And the invitation's still open, friend. I'm going to be down at the front here as we're singing. And maybe you would like to talk to someone personally about Christ. And as we're singing, we would invite you to come and I'll welcome you here. So say, Preacher, what would happen if I walked down the aisle? We would welcome you. We would talk with you and pray with you. We're not here to embarrass you. not here to put you on the spot. Just want to minister to you, but someone would love to take a Bible and lead you to the cross. So maybe you didn't pray there in the pew, but you need to come. The invitation's still open. We would invite you to come. We'd love to talk with you and help you. Let's stand together and sing 141, the old rugged cross.